um, to be here uh, just over a year now. It's been a year, and it's been a wonderful year, a beautiful year. I've got to meet many of you, uh, but still not all of you. What a large church we have. And uh, I hope to get to know more of you as the years continue, if they'll still have me. Um, but it's just been a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I've also gotten to know some of you on a personal level, some of your heartaches, some of your pains, some of your growing things that you're going through. And I'm in deep prayer over these things because I care for you. And I want you to know that as a church, I've said this before, you'll hear me say it so many times, we celebrate together and we ache together. So as a body, we rally around each other. We rally around the wounds that are open to see them healed. We rally around the great celebratory moments and we say, God is good, amen? And through it all, God is good in every moment. And I think it's very exciting. Today, I'm actually preaching and talking about patience as a characteristic of God. And we should be reflecting his characteristics in our life. So I think it's fitting that Pastor Brent mentioned uh, patience as well. We will be patient. We will work forward and be excited for what is to come in the next uh, pile of months. Many changes for sure. But bear with us, church. We are in growing pains for a wonderful, great celebration um, at its conclusion. So, 2 Peter 3.15, if you can turn there, we're going to talk about 2 Peter 3.15 as our main scripture, and my title, as you can see behind me, is The Good, the Bad, and the Righteous, and we're going to talk about three different biblical stories that relate to God's patience. So let's first read our main scripture here, which is 2 Peter 3.15. It says, and I am reading an ESV version for this, but it says these words. I'll give you a chance to flip your pages. A lot of you are electronics, so you're just going boop, 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 boop. See, pastors used to listen to the pages until they were stopped turning. They can't do that much anymore. But I'm giving you a moment. I assume you're there. Here we go. 315 says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul uh, also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. We are looking that we are counting the patience of of our Lord as salvation. We're going to explain that a little bit more. So first, let's just get some understanding of God. A little bit of this intro. I want you to understand who God is. Many of you have heard this definition number uh, numerous times. 1 John 4, 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. We say that all the time. It's a justification thing, too. It really helps us when we're trying to understand theologically how does God do this or do that, or you read something that just doesn't seem to be loving, but we read in Scripture that God is love. Therefore, it helps us understand greater the character of God, of what love means. So uh, Paul starts off his love ballad, as I will call it, in 1 Corinthians 13.4, many of you have heard this in um, weddings and whatnot. The first characteristic of love is that love is patient and love is kind. Love is patient and God is love. And we know that these are part of God because we read about his characteristics, who he is. We get to understand a lot of God's character by understanding the fruit of the Spirit. When we spend time with God Almighty and we nourish that relationship, naturally his character comes out in our lives. And what are his characteristics? Well, Galatians 5 
22 to 23, and I'm reading the NLT because it says patience instead of forbearance. And it says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It does, just in case you have to sing it to remember it. These are things in your life that are characteristics of God Almighty, and patience is one of them. So, all of that is just to convince you our Lord God is patient. Amen? Okay. Now we're going to look at three stories. We're going to look at the good, the bad, and the righteous. And we're going to actually look at them in the reverse order. So we're going to go backwards, and we're going to look at the righteous, the bad, then the good. Is that okay? So, the first one, the righteous. Let me just do some trivia with you, because we're going to do some Genesis talk. And I'm going to ask you if you know the numbers of how old certain people lived. Does that sound fair? So, if you got it, scream it out. How old did Adam live to be? 930. 930. Very true. I memorized that because that's my name. Pastor Brent memorized that because it's his job. <laughs> um, <laughs> How old did Seth live? Hmm. I would say 800-something, but it's a guess. Who's got Seth? Who knows how old Seth lived to be? Less than Adam. Not much less. He lived to be 912. How about Enosh? 365. No. That's Enosh? Yeah. Okay. Enosh. That's why I really emphasize the <laughs> Enosh lived to be 905. Here's one that we never talk about, but it's so close to one of the oldest. How old did Jared live? Who knows who Jared is? <laughs> Don't point to Jared. <laughs> Jared lived to be 962. Okay, so Enoch, you said 365. What's the one special thing we know about Enoch? Yeah. Out of 365 of his years, I don't know if it was 24 more or 25 of the end, but 24 of the 365 years he spent in close relationship with God Almighty. Close enough that he actually was taken up to be with God. So we see that part of the story. It's funny because he did not live nearly as long as anybody else. We're seeing the 900s, maybe 800s as we go down. But 365, that's a full, you know, we know that number from like the cycles around and, uh, of the sun. It makes a year. And in that time, he's grown to be closely knit. This is a third, pretty well, of everyone else's lifespan. In a third of everyone else's lifespan, he grew to have a great, amazing relationship with Lord God Almighty. He figured it out. He would have been young to everyone else. And by then, he was so close to God Almighty, he said, just come home. Cool. When we look to our younger people, and this isn't even my sermon, but it's good. <laughs> understand God can work through them and speak to them and they can show you a closeness to our great almighty God that maybe you've forgotten in the other two-thirds of the life that you've lived. That has nothing to do with what I'm speaking about. But hey, that's good. Write that down. That's nice. Okay, last one. Methuselah, how old was he? 969? 969, yes. 
he is recorded as the oldest person in Scripture. That's why I mentioned Jared. That's pretty close. 962. 969. It's the oldest person that we have on record through Scripture that's mentioned specifically in Scripture, right? Um, and the reason why I think that's important for us to talk about is because who he was. That's a long time. 969 years is as if you were born during Viking rule and died yesterday. That's a while. It's a lot of face paint. <laughs> That's four Venus transits, if you're really into that kind of thing and you're curious. That's a long time. Oh, there's Venus. Four times, okay? So, this guy lives to be the longest on record, and he has a son. Of course, we know uh, he has... Um, uh, Lamech, who has uh, Noah, and we go down that uh, chain, and we know who Noah is. We talk about him a lot. But Methuselah's name is really neat. His name means his death shall bring destruction. And it's a long, long time that he lives until his death brings destruction. Because as we read, and I will read this portion of scripture, Genesis 5, 25 to 29, it says, Then Methuselah was 187 years old. He became the father of Lamech. After the birth of Lamech, Methuselah lived another 782 years, and at some point he taught him to drive, I'm sure, but whatever, it's just a long time. And he had some other sons and daughters. Methuselah lived 969 years, then he died. When Lamech was 182 years old, he became the father of his son. Lamech named him Noah, for he said, May he bring us relief from our work and pain, painful labor of farming this ground that the Lord has cursed. So here's Genesis 6, uh, 6 to 9. So the Lord was sorry that he ever made them, that being humanity, and he put them on the earth. It broke his heart. The Lord said, I will wipe this human race uh, I have created from the face of the earth, and yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. And this sounds really sad and bleak, so take a moment. That's really sad. Now, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Phew. Verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close relationship with God. The last time we really get to know someone who's walking this close with God is Enoch. And we hear all of these things. And Methuselah comes, and on the day of his destruction comes wrath. That is the day he died. 1 Peter 3.20, right within our space here, we read that those who obeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat, only eight people were saved from the drowning in that terrible flood. The longest person to live was the one that held the name that when he dies, destruction will come. God waited a very long time. And when Methuselah passed, we understand the rains fell and the floods came up. Wow, I'm repeating myself today. And we had the story of the destruction of the earth and the unrighteous and Noah and his family, the righteous, were saved. 
God waited patiently for Noah to come. God waited patiently for things to be in place to save the world, to save us as we are lineage of this. And that's amazing because we have to understand someone to live uh, 969 years old is a long, long time, and no one exceeds that, and I think that's on purpose. I think we can see that God shows us that he saved and waited a long time for that righteousness, and he was not just wanting to say, hey, you know what, Methuselah, you're going to be the one. When you died, destruction along the earth. He didn't wait 300 years, a third of a normal lifespan. He waited a third of a normal lifespan to take somebody that he loved, but he did not wait a third of someone's lifespan to destroy everything. He gave people a chance. He waited patiently. That's the God we serve. I think that's important for us to grasp today, right? And I think that's something that we just want to touch on. God waited patiently for a righteous man. So that's our righteous. Let's look at the bad. So we're still in Genesis. I'm going to touch on something. This is a short portion for the bad. Then we'll get to the good. Let's look at Genesis 15. You can turn there if you'd like. Genesis 15 has a story of specifically the bad that we're going to touch on. And of course, spoiler alert, patience that the Lord waits upon. Genesis 15, verses 13 to 16. It says this. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for, that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried in a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God waited for the sin of this people, an enemy of God's nation, waited patiently that they have free will, waits patiently for who they are, but he knows that they will stay in their sinful state, and it has not reached full measure. They have chances, but as they wait, Joshua is the one that defeats them and goes through and does this work as they take their land. But God gives them this time, four generations Back in the day when we're waiting for the righteous, again, you wait for the righteous, and it was quick. Enoch, come home. Waiting for the righteous with Methuselah. That's one full, very long lifespan, 969 years. This is 400 years, seems shorter. Why is he not waiting as long? This is four generations at this point. People are living a, very, a shorter amount of time, for sure. And he takes this time to wait patiently that these people who are sinning and he's seeking and waiting and building the people, readying them for their home, for their place. And yes, there is some suffering. And we read, and I hope that you've memorized the scripture of John 16, 33, that in this world we will have trouble, but take heart that I, Jesus, have overcome the world. 
So when you are in this state of saying, what's going on? Why are we waiting? What's happening with the world around us? And there's all this darkness. There is a, a time where God is waiting on redemption here. So he waits and he waits. And what happens with the Amorites? Well, they don't find their time to say, you know what? I give up. I want to serve this God. No, they continue to punish. They continue to hurt the people of God. And they find their time of destruction where they're wiped out. God waited patiently for the Amorite people to change from their sinful ways. Let's talk about the good. So how many know the story of Jonah? Swallowed by a fish. Everybody knows that part. But he's a guy who is called to a place called Nineveh. And in going there, he is uncomfortable and afraid. There's two reasons. One, um, they oppress and hate the Jews. It's, uh, it's like going through the Holocaust, deciding that Jewish people are now going to start handing out tracts on the street in Germany to Nazis and say... Have you heard about, you know, and don't do that. It didn't work. It wasn't a good idea. And he's now called to go to Nineveh to preach of God. Terrified, he thinks he will die. Also, he hates them. They're enemies. So that's his job. God says, Jonah, will you do this? I've called you to do this. Jonah 4.11 says this. This is near the end of all these things. Because, I'll give you the spiel of it, this is the end where Jonah does find his way there. He preaches on every corner, speaking, repent and be saved, the Lord God. And guess what? They actually do it. Like, wow. They actually say, yeah, you know what? This almighty God, the one true living God, sounds good. That sounds like a good idea. Everything I'm doing sounds like a bad idea, and I'm going to follow after this living God, and I'm going to change my ways. Thanks, Jonah. So Jonah's obviously really annoyed that God did such a gracious thing because he hates these people. You ever pray for your enemy, and all of a sudden they become one of your closest friends? Doesn't that annoy you? Isn't that God, and isn't that wonderful? I'm not talking Stockholm Syndrome. I truly mean that God can do that. So Jonah does this, 4.11. This is what it says. And God's talking to Jonah. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? They don't know any better. If I could have three sermons in a row, I'd start with the first one that I kind of just did in a sentence, and I would probably take this one and tell you that, hey, even God doesn't expect save, uh, unsaved people to act saved. He has compassion on a broken world. And I think that's a characteristic we need to carry with us, too. I digress. God cared greatly for the confused, lost people of Nineveh enemy of his people at the time. And God waited patiently for them to repent. And he spared them. He waited patiently. He could have said, well, my prophet's not going. I wanted him to share some things. They're still sinning greatly and in a whole realm of destruction. 
you know, the Amorites didn't come around. Maybe I should just let this one go too. No, he waits. He works on his people. He calls them. He brings Jonah through a lot and brings him into this place for the sake of Nineveh. For the sake of people that we would have written off and said, you're unsavable. How can a God ever love someone like you? How could you be savable? How could God use you for his kingdom? And God goes and spares them for they repent before God. So, we have the righteous, we understand, waiting patiently for the righteous to come into the earth. And there's Noah. We have the bad, waiting patiently for sinfulness to just be abandoned by the Amorite people, but they do not. Waiting patiently for the good, for, for Nineveh to just give their lives, give up their junk and say, you know what, I'm going to serve, I'm going to repent. So what does this have to do with you? What does this have to do with me? Well, I've read a lot of scripture so far, so the next passage of scripture I'm going to read, I'm actually going to sing it, because why not? It's a little different. But Jesus tells a really amazing story of patience, and one of the most really touching stories that I think convey the heart of our loving Father the best. And it's the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of a father who waits for their son who has absolutely abandoned them. Oh, I want my money. I want to go. I want to just live my life and do something else. But the father seeks and looks and waits so much so that when the son does come home, the father runs out to meet him. He's watching and waiting. He cares so much for his lost son. There is a patience to it. So can I sing this one for you? The song's called Please Come Home. It's by Dustin Kensrue. It's from the perspective of the father that was uh, abandoned by the son. want us to get in this story is so, so, so simple and real and true. The accurate way of looking at God's point of view actually comes to life in Romans 2.4, which says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That God is seeking your repentance. God's patience and kindness is meant to lead to the lost to repent, like in Luke 15. This idea that there's always a place for you. Some of you have prodigal sons in your life. Some of you have people, some of you have been prodigals that went away from God and abandoned this. And some of you have been seeking to wonder, how does this God, who seems to love everyone and do all these things, how is there a place for me? How can I be used? How does that work? But there is there is a God that just seeks to love you. And he has the patience to do it. Not all of us have that patience. I've ministered many, many times to people who struggle with alcoholism, 
people who go to uh, Narcotics Anonymous and whatnot as well, and they feel that God must hate them by now because even their own parents and their brothers and their sisters have abandoned them because they've used up all of those trust bucks. They've used up all that there is to communicate their, their truth to them. They just know that eventually everyone has a limit where they say, I know that you say you're sorry and that you're going to change, but I'm sick of always being hurt by you, and everyone's got a limit where they'll abandon. But our God doesn't. Our God doesn't. Not even a little bit. His patience is so great for you. He loves you so much. Even when we're teaching at, at the church of those that are sinning against others and they're wolves in sheep's clothing and they come into the church to seek and destroy and do all this mess and all this garbage, we try to reach them. We try to do the best we can. But the last thing we do is says, treat them. Treat them like the unsaved. It says just leave them to be as if they're unsaved, which means love them, reach them, minister to them. Stop trying to think that maybe we're all in this together, but what it really means is, hey, you know what? These people, maybe they're not really fully committed to this, and I've been mistaken, and I'm trying to get an unsaved person to act saved, which we already talked about, and maybe what I really need to do is learn and take these people and say, you just need to be loved, and it grows the patience within us, a characteristic of God. And I pray that patience grows within you for the loved ones that God cares for, which is this whole planet. But the cool thing about this story is we get that God waits patiently for the righteous, the good, the bad, and God waits patiently for the lost. And that brings us back to our core verse in 2 Peter 3.15, which says that count the patience of our Lord as salvation— the entire Old Testament is a story of God's preparing a people for Christ. The entire New Testament is the story of Christ preparing the church for reconciliation back to God. And Jesus came and began that mission, and it was passed on to us. It's in our hands, and God has deemed us capable. And it's not just me, but it's us, the body of Christ. And we seek the lost to come to Christ. That's the mission. It's in our hands now. Some people ask this question, and I think it's a big one. It's actually a—this a, it, is a tipping point. This is important for us to really try to answer. We're so excited for Jesus to come again, soon coming king. It's the center of who we are, even as a Pentecostal church, if not an evangelical church. The urgency has died down slightly uh, from the, the beginning days of our, our Pentecostal movement, where Jesus comes back on Thursday. Let's get ready to Jesus coming back eventually, I think is how we've worded it. We wonder, why isn't Jesus here yet? Why hasn't he come yet? When, did, when is he coming? Well, there's two answers, okay? They're both very true. Two answers. Number one, I don't know. I'm not supposed to know. That's not my job. Sovereign God knows. So that's actually a really good answer to have, Okay? Second answer, your loved one isn't saved yet. The person that you're in tears praying over, the prodigal that you want to come home, isn't saved yet. 
Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Get excited that Jesus is patiently waiting for your loved one. And again, we don't know his timing. It could be any time. And don't hesitate to say, oh, Jesus won't come until Joey's saved kind of thing or whoever, right? But take that to understand that the Lord is on your side, working with you on this endeavor, that your loved one is saved. If our goal is to die and see Jesus in heaven, then why does the great physician heal still today? Why don't we just all sing, I'll fly away and stop trying to live? Right? Because the prodigal has not come home yet, because the lost sheep has not yet been found, because we haven't finished sweeping the house for the lost coin, and because your loved one has not been saved, church. So, that's why we're healed today. When Anytime I speak to someone that says, oh, should we pray for healing or not? Well, if God wants to use them to reach more people for Christ, then he's going to put breath in those lungs. He will. I'm pretty sure Lazarus did some pretty great things after he came back because we have potential, and God does not want your potential to be wasted and buried with you. You have a job to do. We have a mission to stand for, and that's why he keeps us going. You have something you can give. And his patience, his waiting for that day of glory that we seek, we do, we truly do, I think it's grace that we have more time. We can pray and do more work. We have more breaths to share Jesus to others. Many of you heard my aunt's story. My aunt on uh, my dad's side, his sister. We've tried to reach her for Jesus for years, and she didn't want to hear it. She didn't want to accept it. But it wasn't until she was working in, in the hospital and she was working at the bedside of this one specific person who kind of befriended her, got really nice, and invited her to an alpha program. They had dinner. They talked about the questions of life. And she accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And none of us saw that coming. We thought she hated Jesus, that she had nothing to do with us and just wanted to abandon all of it. But we planted seeds, and it may have fell on earth that just wasn't ready or tilled or working, but this person watered it, and it was perfect that the right time and the right moment of all these things came together, that life happened in her heart, and she accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. So, for every moment you have breathing still on this planet, don't stop praying for the lost because you are casting seed onto ground that others are tilling and working in. And if you don't see the fruit, someone else might do the work. We're all in this together, and we need to be on that same page. Amen? So church, this whole message, the good, the bad, and the righteous, and the cool horse picture, and all these funny things, it has to do with one main point. That as God is waiting for the lost, let's get on our horse, let's get out there, and let's get people saved. Let's tell them about Jesus, the urgency of his coming, because it's true, and the fact that we have something to share. God has done something special in each and every one of your lives, something that's so unique and specific that there are people out there that need to hear that story. And if you don't share it, you're not giving the right amount of nourishment to that earth to receive the seed that they can grow and have life in Christ. And I want you to do that. We're all uniquely set up to do that. If my aunt can't get saved by my words, your words might be the right ticket. And if your loved one is not saved by your words, others were praying, come 
and they might have the right ticket, the right work, and it just happens. So we're going to, because it's noon-ish, we're going to pray for our loved ones. Would you stand while we do this? I want to pray for our lost loved ones. It is the commission of the church that the people we love greatly, and I pray you believe this, that your person on your heart, in your mind right now, because I want you to be thinking of them, the person you care for the most to be saved, God loves them more. He wants them in this family more than you. How amazing is that? It's phenomenal. So have someone on mind. It could be a whole family. It could be a group. It could be a nation. Just have someone in your heart. Have them on your mind. We all, every single one of us, have a loved one that does not know Jesus the way we do, and we, we want them to know the Lord the way we do. Amen? We're going to pray. You ready? Let's pray. We're bringing them to the throne room of God. Dear Heavenly Father, you care and love these people that are on our hearts and in our minds more than we ever could. It's unfathomable, but it is true. You cared and you died on the cross for them. Your salvation, your forgiveness of sin, your grace is sufficient for them, and you love them, and you're seeking them. I pray you are putting people in their way to speak life, to water that seed, to till the earth, to get it ready. I pray that our prayers are softening hearts of stone. I pray that the Holy Spirit is moving and speaking and convicting lives, that they would receive of you soon. We've waited patiently, maybe not as patiently as we should, but you've waited patiently too. And you want this family to grow. You want our physical families to be part of our spiritual family. You want our closest friends to have conversations that glorify you. You want people's language to change. You want their mood to change. You want people who have been known as wolves in this church to be transformed from the inside out and become lambs. You want this place to grow exponentially, and it starts with the heart. So right now, God, soften hearts. Give us inspired speech from your great spirit as witnesses with our story that when we share, lives are transformed. We love these people fully and greatly, Lord God, but your love, let it move through us to them that they would receive of you today and be changed, that they would recognize you not only as Savior but Lord of their life. They would be those 11th hour Christians that move forward and grow greatly and lead in this place. As Pastor Brent already said, those who are saved today can lead us. And you do that because we are diligent enough to forever pray for the lost. Thank you, God, that you saved me. Thank you, God, you saved us. That this prodigal came home, that you did not go to sleep and forget, but you were there waiting, and you welcomed us with open arms. And as your arms are still open to our loved ones, we say, let them be yours. Let them be yours in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.